Well, good morning, everyone. You've been sitting for a wee while, so why don't you maybe stand up, have a shake, um, and one question for you is, um, chat to the person and say, how did you get your name? And not say, well, my mum and dad gave it to me, but how, how did it come about? Is it, is it sort of family history? Is it named after someone famous? What? What's the reason for you having your name? So you need to stretch, stand up, and do the, do the wee chat. Okay, perhaps this is a conversation you can continue with afterwards in the cafe. Interesting to see a few laughs going on. I'm kind of curious as to what the reasons were. Um, I have a feeling that my name is a, a bit of a nod to... Uh, Scottish ancestry in our family. Uh, although, my twin brother and I do share the names of the twin engines on Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> Donald and Douglas. I don't know if that's why. My, my next two brothers are Paul and Peter. So, uh, yeah. Dickie Birds? Anyway. <laughs> well, Seb's prayed for me, but can I just quickly pray as well? God, we thank you for um, who you are. We thank you that there is so much richness in your word. And Lord, as I bring this message today, would you just enrich us further? In Jesus' name, amen. So I found out some time ago that the name Judah, which is one of the tribes of Israel, means praise. And I found that out in the context of when all the tribes of Israel were placed around the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, Judah was placed at the entrance. And so whenever people had to go into the temple, they had to go through the tribe of Judah. There's a verse in Psalms, you'll probably be familiar with it. Chapter 100 and verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So as we're coming into God's presence, uh, we're preparing ourselves in worship. Kind of explains why we sing first, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it could be a feel-good thing just to get you wound up and ready to go, but actually it's, it's biblically modelled that we pass through praise in order to prepare ourselves to meet God. And that's not only true in church. We, can, we might think that this is the place where you meet God. You know, you can meet God wherever you are, in your workplace, in your sports teams, in your schools. Wherever you are, you can meet God. What are you doing to prepare yourself to enter those places? During the um, lockdown, one of the great things that came out of it was that my kids showed me how to get Spotify sorted. <laughs> yeah, you, you might laugh because it's actually simple. I'm not wired that way. So thanks, guys. Um, and so now, when I drive into town, and that's around about 30 to 40 minutes, depending on traffic, I've got my Spotify playing with a whole lot of different... Christian artists that I've selected that speak deeply to me. And, and what it does is it prepares me for entering God's presence. 
yes, on a Sunday morning, but also in my workplace. But that's just the context of why I started thinking about this message. That's not the message. But maybe you, maybe you learned something from that. I started to wonder, if Judah's name had a purpose, what about the other 11? Why were they named the way they were? And how do they help us in our relationship with God? What, what do they speak to us? So I want to start by grounding it in quite a lot of scripture. It's going to be a fair bit of reading here. And they tell us about the other tribes, their names and what they meant. So buckle up, here we go. Genesis chapter 29, to start with, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. It's a bit of a threat, isn't it? (laughs) Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God? Who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He's listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Joseph a second son. And then Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. Actually, she's only 4'2". <laughs> she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. And so she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes. 
So when Judah came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. We'll get to what mandrakes are later. (laughs) Not what I thought, anyway. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Then they moved on from Bethel. This is Genesis 35, 16. Moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. And she breathed her last, for she was dying. She named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. There it is, that bit of the reading. <laughs> so I want to reflect on each of the 12 tribal leaders and what significance their names had and to think about how we might relate to each of them. Now, I've created a very basic two-dimensional altar thanks to insert table. <laughs> and we'll build the altar stone by stone, um, adding the names of each of the sons of Jacob. So we've got there, of course, Reuben, who's the first one. It's, his name sounds like the Hebrew for, he has seen my misery. The name actually means, see, a son. The misery was the feeling that Rachel was loved and Leah was less favoured. Leah thought that by having a son to Jacob, God saw her misery and answered with a son for her. I wonder... Do you wish God would see your misery and deal with it? Perhaps you identify with Leah's wish that her misery could be moved so easily. Perhaps that misery is around having children. Perhaps it's financial, a broken relationship, maybe an offence of the past like John talked about last week. Simeon is the next one. His name means one who hears. Again, Leah is striving for Jacob's affection. And in the birth of a second son, she's feeling heard by God. Ask for God for another son. I got it. Even if Jacob isn't hearing it. I wonder, are there times in life where you have strived or you are still striving for someone's attention or affection? Perhaps God heard you, even if they didn't. Perhaps you're still waiting for his answer. Levi sounds like the Hebrew for blue jeans. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Sounds like the Hebrew for attached or joined. That was in the context of Leah wanting Jacob's love and approval 
and thinking that by having a third son, it would bring an attachment between her and her husband. She didn't feel it yet, though. I wonder, have there been times that you've felt that if only you do more, do better, do greater, then you will grow more attached to God and perhaps those around you? The problem with doing is that God doesn't really measure in that way. God looks at us and loves us anyway, despite how much we do. He just wants a relationship. Do you recognize times where you've worked hard to try and earn the favor of others or of God? Judah, as we know, sounds like the Hebrew for praise. And in this case, after three sons, Leah says, you know, she's already been going, oh, I'll, I'll earn the favor, I'll earn the favor. And she, this time she goes, oh, I'll just praise God. <laughs> Perhaps she's realized that going after the approval of her husband was getting a bit pointless, so she just praises God. I wonder, are there times where you have gone after the approval of others and forgotten to simply thank God and to praise Him for what He sees in you and for what He's given you? Can you think of a time when praise was like a key that unlocked a difficult door? Sometimes we go headstrong and, and straight in to try and fix things. But if, if we actually step back a bit and go, right, God, I'm just going to praise you, maybe that unlocks a door. Dan means he has judged me or he has vindicated. And this one was in reference to Rachel's belief that she gained a child as a result of a judgment from God, a good judgment. So she's yearned for a son, couldn't have one, so she gave her servant to Jacob. And she's got this son who's under her, um, her leadership in a, in a sense. God provided for Rachel through her servant in a way that made her feel vindicated for not providing her own son. I wonder, have you ever experienced a breakthrough in your life with the help of others? I'm not suggesting if you're childless that you find someone to do what she did. No. <laughs> Maybe you're struggling with something at the moment and you need to involve others in order to see the breakthrough happen. Remember that we're a body, not a single part. We need each other. Naphtali means my struggle or my strife. This is the second son of Rachel. And it's a sign to Rachel that she's won the struggle with her sister to prove her worth. She's now more worthy because she's got sons to her husband. Not only has she provided a son, she's done it again. She's doubled. Even though it was just her servant, it's still under hers her tally. She knows she's loved. Boy, does she know it. And that was a, a source of conflict between the two. But she still wants to avoid the shame of not proving her worth by giving a son. I wonder, have you ever wanted to prove that you're good enough to God and to others, even though God already loves you? Rachel's struggle was in showing that she was good enough, even though Jacob already loved her. God already loves you too. What's your struggle? Gad can mean good fortune or a troop is coming. I don't quite see the connection there initially when I looked at that. They seem to be quite far apart. 
So Leah sees she's not having any more children. Remember, Leah had stopped having children, and Rachel goes, ha-ha, servant, two. And Leah's like, ah, that's how you do it. All right, I'll get my servant. Where you go, Jacob. (laughs) And in naming Gad, you can almost hear the sarcastic tone of victory in Leah's voice. My son is a symbol of more blessing and fortune for me. Imagine a war, and this is coming to the troop thing. Imagine a war scene, and this, there was a bit of a war going on between these two wives. Imagine a war scene and the battle's getting intense. What a relief it would be to see a troop of your allies coming to give you help. Suddenly you're not losing as much, you're starting to gain again because you've got this fresh help. And that's where I wonder that those kind of mean the same thing. Suddenly she's not losing ground because she's had another win. Better better than my sister again. I wonder, have there been times in your life when things have gone well? Maybe you're currently riding a wave of good fortune. There are important moments in your life to treasure. They're exciting, they're enjoyable, relatively stress-free, and they're the moments that we want again and again especially when we're in a bit of a valley. Asher means happy or blessed. Now, if one child, one extra child was not, good, not only good fortune, this is like next level. I'm really happy and blessed because of what's happened. Asher signifies her delight at how blessed she is. Not only has she found good fortune, it's doubled and now it feels awesome. She's happy because the score is now 6-2 against Rachel and blessed because her worth is proven even if Jacob still doesn't see it. I wonder, have you ever felt like God was pouring blessing upon blessing for you? Has there been a time when you asked for something and he gave you even more than you needed or asked for? It's those moments where you realise God knows even better than you, what's right for you. Issachar sounds like the Hebrew for reward. The passage talks about Leah giving up her mandrakes to Rachel. Now, as I said before, until reading this passage, I really didn't know much about mandrakes. I did find out they are not male ducks. (laughs) It's a plant. And the fruit of this plant was actually seen as a sign of good fertility. The actual name of the plant sounds very similar to the um, Hebrew word for love, as in the attraction kind of love. So Leah, even though she's got more sons than Rachel, she's still looking for ways to get one more up. She want, and so Leah, despite having more sons, she wanted mandrakes to increase her chance of having even another son. And Rachel wants them because she's still a bit behind in the boy tally. Leah gives them to to Rachel on the condition that she gets to spend the night with Jacob. And out of that, Leah conceives and has a son. And for some reason, she believes that the reward is because she used her servant to get more sons previously. There's a lot of manipulation and, and lobbying going on here, isn't there? Leah thinks she's rewarded and now she's given birth again. I wonder, can you think of times when you felt rewarded for what you've done 
but not in the way you expect. Now, a salary is not an unexpected reward, hopefully, because you worked for it and you earned it. But are there times you've plodded along, serving God with the gifts you have, and suddenly someone comes across your path or something happens that makes you feel humbled by the outcome of a situation? Treasure those moments. Zebulun probably means honour. Leah thinks, because she's born six sons of her own and two from her servant to Jacob, then he will treat her with honour. Is there a pattern of him actually following through on those things? No. I wonder, have you ever felt like God will only honour you if you do certain things? If I do this much Bible reading, that much prayer, attend this many meetings, fast twice a week, give more than 10%, then God will be pleased with me and honour me. Can I just say, God is already pleased with you. All of those things are not about pleasing God. They should come from a desire to show our love for him because of what he's shown to us. Joseph means may he add. Could be a good mathematician. Now that's in the context. This is finally Rachel gets her first child of her own, not through her servant, but this is her own child. And this is the thing she says, God has taken away my disgrace. May the Lord add to me another son. The blessing and relief of disgrace being removed is like a weight lifted off her. And already Rachel's eyes are on having another son. Imagine being called, may he add, like, yeah, you're good enough, but I want another one. I wonder, do you know the incredible joy of disgrace being lifted off your life? The worst disgrace in God's eyes is sin, which is the attitude of wanting absolutely nothing to do with him. He stands there waiting patiently, arms open wide, for us to accept him. And when we ask, he will take away that disgrace. That brings freedom from the power of sin. But you know what? God is also the God of more. God of the ad. And that's what his name means. Joseph is, may he add. Not in a greedy, consumeristic sense, but more in the sense of finding out and experiencing how wide, how deep, how high God's love is for us. Stretches far beyond all that we could imagine. And Benjamin, the last of the twelve. Originally, uh, Rachel named him Ben-Oni, which means son of my trouble. Imagine being called that. Walking around school, hey, son of my trouble. Get teased for that one. As she's dying, following the birth, she names him in a reflection of her life. Son of my trouble. She's looking back at all that's happened. That might be trouble in childbirth, but I I reckon it's probably got something to do with the trouble she had in the battle with her sister. Not sister, other wife. The number of sons born. Maybe she had a bit of trouble with feeling feeling her worth because she didn't produce as many. She'll never get to grow old and see her boys grow up and become young men. For all the trouble she's been through, 
she doesn't get to live a settled and fruitful life with her young family. But later his father renames him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. That is a symbol of strength. Perhaps strength to face the future after all the trouble the family's experienced. I quite like the way that one writer puts it, and they, this is what they say. It was a name not of reflection, but of preparation. I'm talking about Benjamin. Name not of reflection, that's looking at the past, but of preparation, looking forwards. Not of dwelling on past sorrow, but of hoping for future achievement. I wonder, is this now a time for you to move from past reflection to future preparation? Later, we actually find that Joseph's tribe is split into two half-tribes, and we see that in Genesis 41, and this is what it says. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So if we look at the altar again, we now see that Joseph's tribe has become two halves. Manasseh means causing to forget, and Ephraim means fruitful. And in fact, the the name Ephraim sounds like the Hebrew for twice fruitful. So it's not just fruitful, it's abundant fruitfulness. The causing to forget is not about completely erasing all memory of what happened in the past, all the hard bits that they've been through but instead it carries the idea of kind of being oblivious to what's happened. So in other words, the past no longer has a hold over me today. Putting aside the past and becoming fruitful out of a time of Joseph's life of great suffering. That's what the two of them mean together. I wonder, are there things of your past that you wish have no hold over you today? Are there things that still hinder your life today that you wish to be free of? Do you desire a fruitfulness in your life that you aren't yet experiencing? Life is full of good and not so good things. I'm not going to stand here and pretend it's just a simple fix, but I know from my own past that it's it's, it's taken a lot of determination and hard work, but it's also been God's incredible love and forgiveness for me that's that's made that way possible so that I can begin moving to a place where the past doesn't have the same hold or influence over me. So when I think about those 12 tribes and the meanings of their names, it kind of sums up what life can be like, doesn't it? The ups, the downs, the struggles, the battles, the joys, highs and lows. Do you ever look at someone and think they're an Asher or a Gad? All they seem to have is blessing and fortune, nothing wrong. How often have I had a perception of someone until I finally got to know them and realised actually they've experienced a lot of those other things as well. They've had battles and struggles. Just recently a young man (coughs) I was talking to asked me if I had ever had struggles, as if I don't have them. His life is a constant struggle, And his perception that mine was all fine and dandy. 
I told him that I don't have it all together, and I still have struggles. As I shared a little of my own life, a connection was made that showed that I could be trusted and, and to understand his situation. Do you also wish maybe you could see a Manasseh moment where you could forget the past, in a sense, and not letting it have a hold over you today, and move into or step into an Ephraim experience of fruitfulness? When the Israelites were led by Joshua, crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land, the leader of each tribe was to collect a stone from the river, and with the 12 stones, they were to create an altar. Joshua 4, verses 4 to 7. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the purpose of the altar was to serve as a sign and a memorial to the people. So in the future, when children asked what it was about, they could explain the times of joy and the times of suffering as a testimony of God's goodness through thick and thin. The altar was built as a milestone in their journey. So much has happened before, and they were looking forward to the future. Do you know what I noticed is they didn't exclude the stones of those who represented difficulty and struggle. Sometimes we look at people and all we see are the good stones, the ones that have success and blessing and honour. But actually there's a lot of stuff there as well that, um, makes up those altars. All of them were represented. The past was acknowledged, but the misery did not have to have an ongoing hold in their lives. I wonder if the band could start making their way up as we start to round it off. Now, we might not build altars out of stones, but we all encounter milestones in our lives. In our family, we often share stories of the past around a dinner table. And those stories kind of fall into three rough categories. One is remembering significant events. It might be a holiday, it might be a particular birthday party and all the stuff that we did. The other ones are funny stories. Someone did something silly. I'll give you one of them. Ethan, my youngest, our youngest. Gives away of Ethan. <laughs> when he was about four, we were farewelling some people from our place. And I had him sitting on my head, not my shoulders, on my head to get him really high. Dad, I need to go to the toilet. <laughs> and I, what, what do I think? You're just trying to get off. You're trying try to find an excuse to get off. Uh, trickled down my face, and it wasn't sweat, and it wasn't tears, <laughs> and it smelled a wee bit funny. We remember those kind of stories. That, was, that one was at my expense. We all share them around and have a laugh together. But, you know, the third thing that, that we often talk about in terms of stories 
other difficult times. For me, some of that has come from the early years of being a dad, where I battled with what it meant to provide good discipline. I used to be very heavy-handed. And we tell those stories not, not to try and point blame or say, oh, that was you were useless back then. We look at it in the sense of, okay, that's what happened, but it's not going to have a hold over us anymore. Those things, we, we can forget those things in the sense of they no longer have a power of hold over me now. But do you know what? In telling it, it tells, again, the goodness of God and his grace and enabling me to get from where I was to where I am now. That's a stone in the altar that we can't leave out. It's got to stay there because it's a marker of a milestone that's been achieved. See, our, our kids hear these stories over and over again. They know them well enough they can tell you a lot about our history. They know we're not perfect. Hey, guys. Don't say yes quickly. Um, <laughs> but they also know of God's goodness in, in good times and bad. We don't exclude those stories where we made poor decisions or where we struggled with our past because that is a part of who we were. When we talk about them, we can see how God has redeemed the most difficult things of the past and used them to equip us to minister to people who are struggling with the same things now. And that forms a lot of why I love working with dads. I've struggled at it, and now God's given me and equipped me to be able to use those things. You know, the most significant milestone is the one when we decide to ask God to remove our disgrace. It's a time in our life where we put a marker in the ground and we say, God, I give you permission to deal with all that is my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So if there's anyone here today who feels that they need to put things right with God and accept his offer of dealing with the, your disgrace, then when the band starts, some of us will be down the front here to, to pray with you. I'd invite you to come in and talk. But also perhaps there are those of you who know and love God, but some of those things of the past still have a hold over you today. You want to be like Manasseh. I want to be able to not completely erase it, but I want to be able to look at those things and see them for what they are as a growing thing, not as a thing that um, hamstrings me today. Maybe those things don't have a hold over you all of the time, but they do flare up from time to time. So if you're battling with becoming fruitful because of all that other stuff interfering, then maybe you'd like to come on down as well and we'd love to pray with you. God, I thank you for the example that we see even just in the naming of the tribes of Israel, that, God, you've set a pattern for us. We don't have to be held back by the things of the past. But, Lord, most greatly, Lord, we thank you that you remove our disgrace. And when you do, then you add. You add something to our lives that just cannot be fully explained or appreciated. We have to live it. So God, if we need to make a response today, Lord, I ask you, give, give us the courage 
to do that, whether here or whether during the week. In Jesus' name, amen.